This episode has content surrounding sexual violence that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions before listening, and always take care of yourself. So he's trying to reinvent himself, goes by Alan Turner. We just want people to be aware of Don't let him reinvent himself. Hey, y'all. I'm Kat. And I'm EG. Welcome back to Lux Supporting Survivors. Uh, So today we are going to dive right in just because we're talking about some pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Um, So I know we give a trigger warning at the beginning of every episode, but this episode is probably going to be pretty graphic. So we'll go ahead and give another one and say, if hearing the story of a specific instance of sexual violence is going to be tough for you, this is probably not the episode to listen to. Um, so today we're doing a case study essentially of one specific instance of sexual assault and talking about what that looked like, the implications of it, the way it went through the legal system, all that. Yeah. Um, basically, so giving the caveat that every case is different. And so this is just one example of how sexual violence can be navigated through the legal system and certain how just as we go through this case it kind of will show how everything happened but again this is not the blueprint for how things are handled um yeah and so the case we're going to be talking about today is the people versus turner case um which is the brock turner case um as well as chanel miller who is our favorite person in the whole world mm-hmm. and wrote yeah, we are always no about right and she wrote no my name so we were very inspired by her and so that's one of the main reasons we picked this case and also i think as we were talking about it there and we'll dive more into this when it comes to the implications but i think this was one of the first cases that in my opinion really started the conversation around sexual violence. Um, yeah, it was yeah. so prominent it was in the very media. Um, it was like one of the, I mean, in our lifetime, I would say like the first big case that the media like latched on to um, and like brought a lot of attention to the issue. So I think it's a good, it's a good place to start. I think a lot of people already know at least something about this case. Like people remember the case of the Stanford swimmer. Um but we want you to remember the case of Chanel Miller. Exactly. Yeah. I was just about to say, yeah, that like, I don't know, hopefully it gets remembered for the right reasons. Um, but yeah, this episode is probably going to be pretty heavy. It was heavy for us even prepping it. Um, so bear that in mind and make sure you're taking care of yourself when you're listening. Okay, so to start off... Um, Like we've said, this case is about Brock Turner and Chanel Miller. Um, For the uh, pretty much the whole trial, Chanel Miller was anonymous and went by the name Jane Doe. So if you're reading any court documents or anything, they're most likely going to say Jane Doe. Um, It happened in early 2015. So a few years ago now, um, Brock Turner was a 19-year-old on a swimming scholarship at Stanford University. Um, This whole thing took place at a party on Stanford University's campus. Um, And Chanel Miller was 22 at the time. She did not go to Stanford, but was attending the party with her sister, who was a Stanford student. So that's where everything took place is at this party. 
both Chanel and Brock had been drinking, but Chanel was blackout. And so one of the most important things that comes with this is that you cannot give consent when you are intoxicated, let alone blackout, being completely unable to you're basically unconscious. Yeah, if you are like impaired in any way, the consent that you give is not like genuine consent. consent. And that's an important thing to note for all cases. Like we talk about consent all the time, but specifically for this case, it's important to note that not only is Chanel drunk, she's like not coherent. The absence of no is not a yes. For sure. Yeah. So both parties have been drinking. Um, it was an important part of the court case that Brock had had like nine drinks. Um, but Chanel is like blacked out. Um, so at that point, apparently they had been dancing together inside the party. Brock says that he asked Chanel if she wants to go outside. She maintains that she does not remember that. And even if she did say yes, once again, like she can hardly speak. Um, so it's not consent. He leads her outside. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and give another warning and say that this is pretty graphic. Um, they go outside. Chanel is now on the ground, entirely unconscious, lying against the side of a building. Brock takes off her clothes and penetrates her vaginally with his fingers. Um, as this is happening outside, two men come by, see what's going on, see that there's a woman unconscious that a man is engaging with and they, they're on bicycles. They get off them. They start to yell. They grab Brock, pull him off um, and hold him there until the police are called. When the police are called, the police get to Stanford. Brock is arrested on sexual assault charges, but he post bail the same day. Um, and then Chanel. It's, sorry, just to clarify, it's about like 1 a.m. at this point. So Brock is taken to the police station and then like what would arguably be the next day, that's when he posts bail. Yeah. It's all kind of within the same the few same, hours. Yeah, 24 whatever. hour period. Exactly. And then Chanel is taken to a rape center. Um, She's still unconscious at this point. Um, taken to the rape center and wakes up there about three hours later, entirely unaware of what has happened. Right. And she talks a lot about that in her book. And I think the, her book is something that we will go back to throughout this episode, throughout all of our episodes, honestly. And there's, I, I specifically remember when I was reading the book, the way that she wrote about waking up in the center, not knowing what had happened and having to take a shower, knowing absolutely nothing except seeing herself yeah. was very... Like learning later about the details of her own assault that she didn't know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. So another part of all of this is after he was arrested, Brock Turner's blood alcohol content was taken and it was estimated to be about 0.171 around 1 a.m. So that same time when the police came, all of that. So around the same time, that's when his blood alcohol was taken. Percentage isn't important. But this is over two times the legal limit. Yes. So, so important to note. Yeah, they're least. both very intoxicated. Um, so we've given a lot of detail. The short version is two people get drunk, go to a party. One of them is way more drunk than the other, takes advantage of an unconscious girl. Some other people see it, say, hey, that shouldn't be happening. 
stop it. He gets arrested. She gets taken to the hospital. That's pretty much where we land. So we move on to the court case. Um, Turner was initially indicted on five charges, two for rape, two for felony sexual assault, and one for attempted rape. But later the rape charges are withdrawn and there's the law is very specific as to like what is what and technically what he did wasn't rape because he only penetrated her with his fingers. Right. And he so claimed it is he also claimed to dry hump her. Yeah. So it's like it doesn't it wasn't rape, it was just sexual assault. And we've done an episode where we talk about the differences between those things, but it's important to note that originally those charges were brought and then dropped. Um so Brock pleads not guilty to these charges. Um, and again, it's important to know that at this point, we're just here for the sexual assault charges, no rape charges. Um, but Brock pleads not guilty. And so the case goes to trial. Um, there are a lot of details about the way it went down that we won't get into. Um, like we'll say a bunch more times, we definitely recommend reading Chanel's book. And she talks about like the difficulties of the trial and the way it wasn't all straightforward. Um, but the trial takes about two months. So we'll dive a little bit further into the details of that. Brock and Chanel both testify during the trial. Obviously their testimonies are incredibly different. Um, the two men who stopped the situation from occurring any further, both testifies to what they saw. And then an expert witness testifies as well to uh, finding Brock Turner's DNA under Chanel's fingernails, um, which speaks to it being non-consensual. Um, so the trial lasts about two months. There's a lot of information given, definitely very contradictory sides. Um, but eventually... Brock Turner is convicted of three charges of sexual assault. So found guilty of assaulting Chanel. Um, all of that happens in 2015. And then we wait about a little more than a year to get to Brock Turner's sentencing. Um, and like we're always saying, we'll get into the legality of it. But it is important to note that like that's a really long time in between the case and the sentencing and the legal system is is a long road. Right. So, yeah, it's June 2016 when we get to the sentencing. Yes. And one important thing to mention is not only was he convicted of the three charges of sexual assault, but they were felony charges. Yes. Um, so felony charges. So three charges of felony sexual assault. And he was sentenced by Santa Clara County Superior Court Judge Aaron Persky to six months in jail, followed by three years of probation. He also had to register as a sex offender for life and complete a rehab program for sex offenders, right? That seems so great, right? No. Six months? Insane. He got out in three. Yeah, like convicted of raping a woman and given six months in prison, which is like less than people get for like tax fraud, and then gets out in three months. Like That's literally saying like, a felony sexual assault is can be is mitigated a, a in summer one summer vacation. Right. Yeah. And like I think we're doing our best to like remain impartial, but that is like mind blowing. No, it's like such an insane statistic. And we'll talk a little bit more about the sentencing, but as that is happening, um 
it's really important to note that Chanel at this point, so like we said, has been going through the whole trial anonymously, um, doesn't want her name published, but re- has this victim impact statement that becomes publicized, gets a lot of media attention. The case starts to become really recognized nationally. Um, and eventually she comes out and agrees to, to have her name be publicized. But that victim impact statement is something that we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit is really important um, and was really impactful. Yeah. So a little bit of the aftermath, um, kind of what happened after he was, after Turner was sentenced. So Persky, the judge in the case, received a lot of backlash and he was asked to not hear any more criminal cases and he was reassigned to the civil division of the California court system. In 2018, so remember, so this happened 2015, 2016 was the sentencing. In 2018, many months after Brock Turner has been released, by the way, Persky stated that he had no regrets and would rule exactly the same again on this case. So, maintaining just something that to think all about. you need is three months for committing, like, arguably one of the worst crimes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's just important to note, like the way that the legal system works, their failures at a lot of different levels. Um, Okay, something else that we want to note is that Brock Turner goes by Alan Turner now. Um, Obviously, this was a really well-known case. His name became very famous, um, so he's trying to reinvent himself, goes by Alan Turner. We just want people to be aware of that. Yeah, don't let him reinvent himself. Correct. He deserves to be known for who he is. Yes, exactly. Um, So in terms of legislation, so like we said, so this case really, really initiated a conversation around sexual violence and really pushed for some legislation, especially in California, um, since this happened in California. So the public outrage at Brock Turner's sentence prompted the legislator legislator to pass two bills that would change California's state law on sexual assault. Okay, so the first was Assembly Bill 701. And that basically expanded California's definition of rape so that it would include digital, so your fingers, as well as penile penetration. So means that what happened to Chanel is a rape, which is how she qualifies it. Exactly. Assembly Bill 22888, which was written by District Attorney Jeff Rosen, provided a mandatory minimum three-year prison sentence for sexual assault of an unconscious or intoxicated person. Previously to this, the law provided a mandatory minimum prison sentence when a defendant uses force, but there was no mandatory minimum sentence when the victim was unconscious or incapacitated and unable to resist. So this means that for what Brock did, if anyone does that in the future, they have to go to prison for minimum three years, which is still a low number in my opinion, but it's certainly better than three months. Um, Both of these laws were approved went into, went from bills to laws, became a part of the California state code. All right, so that's the facts of the situation. Um, Hopefully you've got a clear view of what happened. Um, Now we want to talk a little bit more about Chanel Miller and her story, and then we'll talk about like the implications of of a case like this and all the impact that it had. But like we've said, that victim impact statement that Chanel read was incredibly important. Um, She essentially elaborated on that 
after the case and wrote a book that's called Know My Name, um, given the fact that she was anonymous and then chose to come forward um, publicly as to who she was. And I really like, I would make this book required reading for everyone. Oh, it, for like, sure. It changed the way that, um, like it changed the way that I thought about all of this. It was super impactful and and the creation of Lux, and we've said that before. Um, so if you get the opportunity, read the book, read the victim impact statement. It'll all be in our show notes. So before I read this, just so everyone knows what a victim impact statement is, um, at the sentencing of someone who has committed a crime against another person, the person who was impacted by that crime is often given the possibility to explain how the situation impacted them. Um, and the judge takes that into consideration when deciding the sentence. So this was Chanel's statement about the way that being raped changed her life. And this is the very end of it. Um, because at this point, like we've said, the case was so public, um, that she really was speaking to the country as a whole, rather than just the courtroom. She says, and finally to girls everywhere, I am with you on nights when you feel alone. I am with you when people doubt you or dismiss you. I am with you. I have fought every day for you. So never stop fighting. I believe you. Lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. Although I can't save every boat, I hope that by speaking today, you absorbed a small amount of light, a small knowing that you can't be silenced, a small satisfaction that justice was served, a small assurance that we are getting somewhere, and a big, big knowing that you are important unquestionably. You are untouchable. You are beautiful. You are to be valued, respected, undeniably. Every minute of every day, you are powerful and nobody can take that away from you. To girls everywhere, I am with you. Thank you. Um, and I really just think like the importance of her having gone through this like horrible thing and then turning it into trying to be a light for other people who've gone through the same thing was just really impactful to me. I think that's so inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. So all that to say, read her book. Um, we talk about it all the time. Um, but yeah, just wanted to to kind of wrap up the facts of the case with something of a positive that her book did, did come out of it. And now we'll move into like the implications of the case, things of that nature, a little more opinion based rather than the facts that we've been trying to give you in an impartial manner. So one of these implications, those implications, and it's something we've talked about, is alcohol, right? And so just genuinely at the end of the day, consent cannot be given if you are impaired in whatever kind of manner that is. And I think this is something as a society that is still being worked on yeah, um, and comprehended. But I do think that this case is something that really – furthered understanding when it came to if you are drunk, you cannot give consent, right? And so that was something that was um, definitely that it, it's definitely an implication. Um, yeah, and I think like we're going to do an episode on guilt in the way that it like impacts people, but I think a lot of times like people assume like if you were drunk, it was kind of your fault. Like you, all you had to do was just not get drunk and they wouldn't have taken advantage of you. Um, and I think this case really demonstrated that like, there's no truth to that. Like she wasn't 
asking to be assaulted because she wanted to have fun at a party. Um, I, like, uh, like I think at a she, school she doesn't even go to, exactly, like with her like, sister. Yeah, no, I think there was, and with this case, like there was so much blame on her. There was so much slut shaming. There was so much like fault placed on the alcohol. And then even with that, it was like, because she drank alcohol, that made it her fault. But on the flip side, because he drank alcohol, it wasn't his fault at all. He was drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. So it's like this double standard of it absolves the perpetrator, but somehow faults the victim. Exactly. Which is just so backwards. Yeah. So backwards. Yeah. I think alcohol really, frankly, I think should make a situation more straightforward and that you can't give consent if you're impaired. But often that's not the case. Often alcohol makes it a lot more complicated. People place blame in false places. So yeah, complicates things a lot in not just this case, but many cases. That's a really important factor to note in a lot of different situations. So we wanted to to bring it up here. Exactly. Another important one is the the media attention that this case got. So not only was there a lot of attention around the fact that Brock Turner got six months and served three of them, that created a lot of media attention and created a lot of pushback. Um, but also this really became a a national story. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. 13 or 14 when this came out and I remember hearing about it and, you know, I was like a freshman in high school or something. So it was like, I think the national attention that this case got really, really, I think, furthered a lot of the legislation and a lot of the policies that were able to be made. Yeah. Brought it to light. Um And this is really like maybe the most important thing that I think we're going to say is this case brought to light the fact that like, if you look at the facts of this case, Chanel had DNA evidence, she had witnesses, she had her own story, she had like a rock solid case. And yes, she did get a conviction. And a rape kit. Yeah, like she had rock solid evidence. And then- he only spent three months in jail. And I think that's like really the hardest thing to wrap my head around is like, think about women who don't have all of that evidence. Think about people who have their story and that's it. And that's just as true as what happened to Chanel. But like, even when you have a case as straightforward as this one with the American justice system, they're only spending three months in jail. Like you can do every single thing, right? You can have every single thing on your side. And they're only going to spend three months in jail. Like that was like him getting convicted guilty was like best case scenario. Even that doesn't happen. Right. And even in best case scenario, it's three months. And so I think that's the like, that's the hardest part for me is like, if this is best case, like think about one step down, think about worst case. Like where does that leave everyone else? Also, like, and this isn't something I think we are going to get into, and there's, and by no means we need to get into it um, a lot, but him getting six months, I don't know how to explain it, but you are giving white men so much power. We haven't talked about that at all. Like, the, the reason that he got so much leniency was because he was a rich white man. I mean, think about how different this case is if he's a black man. How much time does he spend in jail? We just did our episode on intersectionality. And I think that's so important here. Like the privilege that we see in Brock Turner in this case. Yeah. 
it's just a lot. It's it's really frustrating. Um, it's really frustrating. But one of the other implications was the way that Chanel was treated, specifically as an anonymous woman. So because she didn't put her name, her name wasn't known at the very start. And honestly, knowing the way she was treated until her name came out, it's probably for the best, yeah. genuinely. Um, but one of the things that she said about it was, I am a victim. I have no qualms with this word. Only with the idea that it, that is all that I am. However, I am not Brock Turner's victim. I am not his anything. I do not belong to him. Yeah, and I mean, that changed my language around this. Like, yeah, same. Yeah. I feel like I did always call it like the Brock Turner rape case. And now I call it the Chanel Miller case. Like, I think the fact that she was anonymous and she was just called Brock Turner's victim, Brock Turner's victim, like really impacted the way that she was viewed in the situation. And like she says, like no qualms with the word victim. Admittedly, that is what she is. But like the way that we characterize survivors is so important. Like she's not his anything. She is her own person who something happened to. Being a survivor is not the entirety of her identity. It's just like the power of words. And we did an episode on language and the importance of that. So yeah, it all comes back. Um, And then like we previously mentioned, like the slut slut shaming that she faced, the like demonization that she faced for drinking as much as she did. And like all of that happening to like someone in the media who is unnamed rather than like to her and just the impact of all of that. I think was pretty crucial in the case. Um, And then on the flip side of that is the way that Brock was treated. Um, We talked a little bit about the way that the court case went for him, that he had like his swimming coach testify to what a good guy he was. He had his ex-girlfriend testify to what a good guy he was. Like his dad literally said like he shouldn't face 20 years in prison because he got 20 minutes of action. Like, the people who were on his side saying he was a good guy, saying he shouldn't be penalized for this. The fact that he was looked at for who he was rather than like what he had done in a way that like Chanel didn't get the benefit. Like, I just think the way that we treat survivors versus the way that we treat perpetrators is so backwards. But yeah, like the privilege that he had as a white man, as a scholarship swimmer, like there were so many people who were like, well, he shouldn't lose his scholarship for this. Like, he earned that. Like, that's right. not fair. He did one thing. And also how his ex-girlfriend, I don't know, this really bothered me, how his ex-girlfriend was like, oh, he never pressured me. Like, respecting women you're attracted to is not respecting women. Correct. And, like, just because you treated one woman well doesn't mean you treat all women well. It just, like, I think the way that perpetrators are given every single benefit of the doubt and survivors have to prove every single aspect of their story, like, one is inherently believed and one is inherently denied and it is not the right one. Right. Um, yeah, so in Chanel's impact statement, she had a, a really, a really impactful quote that she says where it like kind of points out how crazy it is that the fact that he was on scholarship as a swimmer was considered in his rape case. Um, she says, talking about having read an article about her situation at the bottom of the article, after I learned about the graphic details of my own sexual assault, the article listed his swimming times. She was found breathing, unresponsive, with her underwear six inches away from her bare stomach, curled in a fetal position. By the way, he's really good at swimming. 
throw in my mile time if that's what we're doing. I'm good at cooking. Put that in there. I think the end is where you list your extracurriculars to cancel out all the sickening things that have happened. And I think that's such a good point. Like we do that all the time in rape cases. It's like, yes, he raped her, but like he has a really great job. He has kids. Like we're really going to put him in jail for the rest of his life because of one mistake. Like I think I'm just echoing what I've already said, which is that they're given the benefit of the doubt that I don't think they deserve. But yeah, his swimming times are irrelevant when he raped a woman. Yeah, like I don't even know how that's a, that's a, oh, we should put that in the article. No, it seems like it should be so obvious. But when you look at the way that the media and individual people handle rape cases, that is like, somehow we're still including the swimming times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like I've I've stood on my soapbox. I'm good. Um, as always, we want to wrap up with some action items for y'all. Yeah. So the first one is to read read Chanel Miller's full victim impact statement. That is the very least that you should do. Yes. I think that is something we all need to read, but you genuinely really should read the whole book. I think for allies and survivors, both, it's very eye-opening it's very I don't know how to describe it but as a survivor who read it it makes you realize that there are other people who have been through what you've been through it's like it articulates things that I think a lot of people hadn't been able to articulate for themselves in a very a very helpful way yeah I think Chanel like accomplishes exactly what she intended to with the book exactly and we usually write our action items down, and I didn't write this one down, so I don't know if Kat sees this one coming, but know her name. Know Chanel Miller's name. Yeah. Know her story, and do not forget Brock yeah. Turner. Do, do not forget that he now goes by Alan Turner, and that he is a rapist. Yeah, like, don't let him fade into obscurity. I think he deserves to be known for this. He shouldn't just get to start a whole new life. Like, Chanel talks about that, that, like, Yes, he is registered as a lifetime sex offender, sex offender, and that that was like something that they pushed back against because like he shouldn't be defined for the rest of his life by one thing that she did, and she was like, "I'm gonna be defined for the rest of my life by this one thing that he did. Like this will affect me every day for the rest of my life. It is more than fair that he's affected every day for the rest of his life for a choice that he made, not a choice that she made." Um, so yeah, no, I stand by that. Don't let him exist without this following him. He deserves to be followed by it. He deserves to struggle in life because of this. Yeah. No, I think deal with the consequences of your actions. Yeah. Take responsibility. That being said, this was a hard episode. Yeah. This was a lot, but we think this was a really important case, especially given everything that we stand for, given the impact that Chanel Miller has had on both of us and on Lux. Thanks for hanging out with us. Make good choices. Peace and love.